Good morning, Redemption. My name is Stephanie, and I'm a member here. And um, each week for this series, we've been reading from the same passage before the sermon, which is Colossians 2, verses 1 through 3. You can find it on page 983 in your pew Bible. And this passage serves to remind us where God's wisdom is found in Christ. So if you read with me from Colossians 2, verses 1 through 3. For I want you to know how great the struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches to the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is God's word for us today. Would you join me as I pray, prepare to hear from God's word today? Father, help us now to to quiet our hearts with the thoughts and the anxieties, the worries, the planning that might be racing through them. Quiet our hearts, Lord, to prepare us to hear from your word on a topic that pervades so much of our life, namely work. God, we we pray that you would help us to see what your wisdom looks like in a particular aspect of life that is easily marked, not by wisdom, but by folly. We pray for your grace to sustain us and to grow us and to nourish us by faith in Christ so that we can honor you and, and serve others with our work We pray this this morning, all in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Many of us have a a real love-hate relationship with our work. On one hand, it's very common, of course, to lament our work. We even have sayings for this, uh, TGIF, right? Uh, Thank goodness it's Friday, right? The work week is almost over, or hey, oh, Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Uh, their work week just began, and it's not looking great, right? People put signs up in their offices, I'd rather be fishing or shopping or right, whatever it is, whatever hobbies they have. The point is, I'd rather be doing basically anything but this. Some of us view work as a necessary evil something we just have to do so that we can find real purpose in other areas, whether that be friendships, family, uh, traveling, playing as much golf as we want, whatever it is, but just not work. Uh, on the other hand, for some, work is the all-consuming purpose of their life. They are prepared to sacrifice and neglect every other aspect of their life if it happens to come into conflict or to compete with their work as if things like marriage, parenting, friendships, even in some cases physical health, should all take a backseat to whatever it is we do. In this sense, our work can become our idol or even our identity to the extent that we start to lose sight of who we are apart from our work. The truth is we often teeter between these two extremes of either lamenting our work or worshiping it, 
But as you might expect, as we consider what God's word and God's wisdom has to say for us in the book of Proverbs, we're going to see a far better way to approach our work. Uh, Before we dive into that, though, just a brief word on what exactly I mean by work. It's going to be tempting for you to assume that when I say work, what I mean is employment. And that's not exactly what we're talking about. Those two are not the same thing. Uh, All of us should be giving ourselves to some kind of work, some kind of meaningful endeavor in the world, but that does not mean we will all be employed in the traditional sense. In one sense, we work Anytime we use our physical and or mental abilities to produce or to accomplish something worthwhile. We just had an announcement in a few days. Uh, We just purchased a a building. We're going to have work days. That was not planned or intentional that we would do that, but it's worth noting. Those are for a kind of work. In, in one sense, what we will see today should inform even the wet, what we do when we show up and how we go about that work day together. But today, by work, what I basically mean is the primary endeavor we pour the majority of our time, attention, and energy into. Now, for many of us, this will involve some kind of employment, uh, but for the stay-at-home mother, for example, her work is to care for her children and to cultivate a God-honoring home for their family. This is certainly real work. For the student, for example, some of the students that Sarah will be serving and working uh, to reach, uh, their work is their school, often for very, very extended periods of their life. Uh, If you're in med school, you know exactly what we're talking about. Um, This is real work. And so the question this morning is not simply, how can I be a better employer boss? That would be too narrow a question. The more fundamental question is, how can I honor God with my work, whatever that work may be? But it is important, church, that we have a clear vision of our work, whatever it is. As we look to Scripture, it is clear God certainly does care about our work. In fact, work itself is very much central to our God-given purpose, not to mention God's design even for all of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we read that God himself works to create all things. He brings meaning and purpose and order to the world, and then on the seventh day, he rests from this work. Then he creates Adam, puts him in a garden of goodness to, quote, work and keep it. And he also creates Eve as Adam's, quote, helper. Well, a helper in what? Presumably, presumably, at least in part, in his work. Even in God's design for marriage, work is in view. And then after creating both Adam and Eve, God gives them a shared purpose in an aim of their work. He tells them to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, and to subdue it. Now imagine all the work that would be required for something like this, to subdue the entirety of the earth, to turn it into a kind of garden, if you will, and to fill it with healthy, God-honoring families. That's a lot of work. We can see then, even just in Genesis, work is central 
to God's design for us and for all of his creation. It did not come as a result of the fall, after the fall, uh, but before it. Uh, We were created to use our time, energy, gifts, and abilities for the sake of what I call God's grand vision, to see his creation filled with his image bearers. Work is a good thing. It is a gift from God. But at this point, you may be wondering, well, what in the world happened? (laughs) Uh, Because why does my work so often just not feel that way? And the answer, of course, is sin. Still in Genesis, just on to chapter 3, sin has a devastating effect on all of our work. As a result of their sin, God specifically curses Adam and Eve's work. As they multiply, the pains of childbirth will be intensified for Eve. As they subdue the earth, the ground will now produce thorns and thistles for Adam. In other words, this fallen world that we live in is, in a sense, set against our work. And as a result, our work is hard in a profound and spiritual way. As a result, left to ourselves, uh, we will either become overcome by the apparent hopelessness of our work, or maybe worse, we will try to suck all of life's meaning out of our work, only to find that it never delivers the peace or the glory that we long for. Our work has been corrupted. And if we want to be wise then with our work, we will need God's help, in God's wisdom concerning work. This is what we're going to see today. In particular, the Proverbs we see today will will come essentially with a kind of call to action that is namely, let's work in such a way that serves the good of others and the glory of God. This is the clarifying purpose of wise work. Wise work serves the good of others and the glory of God. Often when our work goes wrong, it's because either it has no transcendent spiritual purpose in our minds, or we have become its ultimate transcendent spiritual purpose, as if all of our work simply serves us and our happiness and our joy, or at least it's meant to. It turns out in Proverbs, we are being called to an others-focused, God-glorifying kind of work that is marked by four qualities that we will see very consistently, and they are this. Wise work is marked by skill, by integrity, by diligence, and by contentment. For the rest of our time, we'll look and see these themes and virtues commended of our work throughout the Proverbs. First, our work should be marked by skill. Uh, Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says this, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Now, at first glance, that, that proverb may even sound a bit more American than biblical, uh, right? It, just the idea is basically, hey, listen, just be good at what you do and you'll really make it in life may even seem like this is almost disparaging of lesser forms of work, those who work for obscure men. It's not exactly what's going on. The idea of standing before a king in this way most commonly refers to a civilian being commissioned for some kind of royal mission, 
often related to military service. In other words, to stand before a king in this way is not just about personal recognition or acclaim so much as it is about service. The the point is not, hey, this guy really made it in life. The point is, when the kingdom needs help, the king asks this guy. With that in mind, what's also in view here is the relationship between the quality of our work and the extent of our influence. If we want to stand before kings in this way, we should not go chase them down and beg them for the time of day. Instead, we should focus on being good at what we do, honing our craft, being skilled. Of course, not everyone who is skilled will literally be put to work by an influential person like a king or a president. This is not the point. The point is, as a general rule, when we are skilled in our work over time, our work will come to influence and benefit more and more people. We will be put to use for the greater common good. And this is an honorable, good thing that we can and should, in fact, desire. It is not more holy or humble even to be mediocre at our work. Uh, And it is not necessarily arrogant or self-promoting to care about the quality of our work or the positive influence that it could have. Of course, skill is not the only mark of wise work. Next, we'll be talking about the importance of integrity. And certainly, just because we are skilled does not mean we are wise in our work. These things are true. But skill is one mark of wise work. And a fool is generally not very good at what they do. So does it really matter to you that you do your work well? Whatever your work may be, uh, whether it involves employment or not, are you actively working hard even to grow and to get better at what you do? For all of us, this means not just settling for mediocrity, coasting in order to kind of get through the day or collect a paycheck. We need to be the kinds of people and workers who are always learning and growing and improving because we deeply care of the work we're doing. If you work with your hands in the trades, um, the idea of skill will be pretty tangible for you. Right? Your skill will either be evident or not in the finished product of your work. And so if that's the case, are your finished products improving with time? Are you getting better at what you do, or are you constantly instead trying to gauge how you can do less and finish sooner without losing any money in the process? For some of us, on the other hand, skill is not nearly as tangible because our work is far more knowledge or communication-based. But if so, if you work on a team, for example, just consider, are the other members of your team generally eager to work with you? Uh, When uh, a project needs to go smoothly or or exceed expectations in some way, do they tend to seek you out for help or leave you out (laughs) to avoid problems? In general, when you invest time and energy into a project, is value added as a result? This really matters in our work. Uh, For some of you, this is a very new tension uh, with the rise even of remote work without any accountability or feedback of in-person collaboration, it's, kind of, it's harder and harder to even gauge how am I doing 
What is the level of skill I'm putting in? It's less and less urgent, it seems, to actually improve for any reason. Why would I if no one is going to be around to notice that or to reward me in any way for it? But the truth is, the reason is that there is wisdom and dignity in working with skill. This is always wise. We've not discovered some new mode of working uh, where skill is sort of an optional part of, of being wise with your work. Uh, for stay-at-home mothers as well, I imagine your kids probably don't give you much constructive feedback uh, on how you're doing as, as a mother. Uh, it may be hard to honestly gauge your skill level in that kind of work as well. And husbands, I would say in particular, if this is the case, if this is your wife's primary vocation, it's a particularly important area for us to be active in encouraging and showing a, a, a spotlight on the particular aspects of, of motherhood that our wives just really excel in. Um, but also, you could consider, moms, uh, do, you, do I see other mothers who seem to be very, just very skilled in this work? They've gone before me. They've done it for a extended period of time. They, they are wise with the use of their time. They seem to really intentionally invest in their kids in helpful ways. Seek those friends out. Learn from them. Grow together. Help each other. Give honest and constructive feedback to one another. Whatever our work is, wise work is marked by skill. It matters that we do it well. But all the skill in the world will only lead us to ruin if our work is not also marked by integrity. Next, wise work is marked by integrity. Take a look with me at Proverbs 11, 3. It says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. I want to repeat this first part. The integrity of the upright guides them. In, in other words, it's not enough for us to understand what integrity is. Uh, we have to actually be guided by it. Uh, there are plenty of crooked or treacherous people who understand integrity. They totally get it. The problem is they are guided by something else entirely. Uh, in a seminary class on Christian ethics, I remember my professor once said, uh, the morally right thing to do is always the wise thing to do. In other words, wisdom and integrity are never at odds with one another. Uh, there may be a tension there, uh, but they always go together. We never have to choose one or the other. I imagine most of us are not willingly or, or blatantly immoral or unethical in our work. Probably most of us are not actively laundering money or, or committing fraud in some sort of way, for example. But we might be willing to get as close to the line as possible, especially when no one is looking. Uh, do you like the gray areas in your work? Do you find yourself drawn toward practices that are maybe not unethical or wrong objectively, but they're at least a bit questionable? You wouldn't want everyone to know that that is the way you go about it. Uh, it is not enough, again, for us to understand what integrity is and just to avoid an all-out moral failure. No, all of our work must be informed and must be driven by what is good, what is just, and what is right. Which means we need to approach our work, whatever it may be, uh, with moral and ethical clarity. 
We should be the kinds of people who sharpen the focus between what is right and what is wrong, not the kinds of people who are constantly blurring the lines of those things and lowering the bar of those things. Now, this may be particularly challenging these days, uh, and it may be particularly challenging for those of you even in the medical field. Uh, This same discipline, which has for many centuries been guided by the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm is now somehow, sometimes, often in many cases, zealous uh, to perform elective gender reassignment surgeries on many people, increasingly young people. This is just one example of an ethical dilemma in the medical world that is very new. In some cases, um, it can be a fairly extreme one, but it is also, in some cases, very real. I've walked with some of you in some of these questions as you pursue a career in medicine. We have wandered so far in some ways from the wisdom of God, it is now not considered harm to permanently alter another human being's body just to bring their body into conformity with whatever they feel about themselves in their minds. And if you question this, your integrity will be questioned. This is a very real dilemma for some. What does integrity look like in this work? In a world where each person gets to define their reality. Especially in cases like this, we cannot just assume that as long as we try to be nice, we will be able to maintain our integrity. It is not that simple. It may be that someday in in many fields, it will be very costly to work with the kind of integrity we see in the book of Proverbs. Uh, it may be that in some, some ways, some fields are just inaccessible to us because we can't. Are we ready for that? Are we thinking Christianly about these things in the life of our work? I want our church to be a place that you run to if this ever comes to it. Uh, we love you. We'll be here with you. Uh, you can work with integrity. I, I want you to notice in this proverb, the, the main proverb here on, on um, integrity, we only learn the final outcome of the work that is crooked and treacherous. That work leads to destruction. Meanwhile, all we read and are told is that integrity guides the upright. We're not told what will come as a result of that. And I think this is because a wise worker is guided by integrity regardless of the outcome. Now, as a general rule, yes, our integrity can and often does help us in our work. That's very true. And yet in business, for instance, of course, the most profitable way is not always the right and God-honoring way that's marked by integrity. Proverbs 16, 19 even says, It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor for your work to go badly and have bad results, that is better than to divide the spoils with the proud. This is it's kind of a, a category breaker for us, particularly as, as modern Americans. There is something in us that wants to hold on to this idea that as long as we try our best and maintain our integrity, we will be successful in our work. The work will go well for us here and now. And, and therefore, for some, if that just doesn't happen, it can really shake you. It can make you question and rethink the idea of integrity. Well, maybe it just doesn't work to have that much integrity, right? I mean, how wise is integrity if it means I fail in the end? But consider 
the work of Christ. When a perfect, sinless man came into the world with complete integrity, our world did not honor him with riches or acclaim. Our world crucified him. And this death is the greatest human accomplishment of all time. Talk about productive work. If we are only willing to do the right thing until it sets us back, we are not actually guided by integrity. We are guided instead by success. And that is a huge difference. To, to be guided by success more than anything else, by definition, is the opposite of integrity. People are, are very rarely um, compromising their integrity because they just prefer to do the evil or immoral thing. That's rarely how it ever works. More often, it is this unhealthy desire for success that will lead us to compromise our integrity. So what is more important to you in your work? Is it success or integrity? Uh, which of these two things guides the, the words that you use, the emails that you send, the deadlines that you set, the standards that you work by? Are we willing even to lose, to fail, maybe to be fired in some cases, to honor Christ with our integrity? Here again, this is where the good of others and the glory of God have a very clarifying effect on our work, right? If the aim of our work is simply our own fulfillment and happiness, we will be able to justify just about any work practice that benefits us. Uh, we will lurk in the shadows and the gray areas dangerously close to the ethical line. But if the good of others and the glory of God is our aim, we will have nothing to hide in our work. We will walk in integrity even when it's hard, even when it may be costly for us, because the upright, those who are wise in their work, are guided by integrity. And next, number three, wise work is also marked by diligence. Proverbs has a lot to say on this topic in particular. Uh, here's uh, Proverbs 18.9. It says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys now, this word slack means to be careless, to be lazy, to be apathetic. Uh, one scholar points out that the word slack is also used to refer to someone whose arms are drooped in discouragement, for example, like this, right? Um, this is what it means to be slack. So, so if you had to sum up your work life in body language, might it look like this, right? <clears throat> Proverbs has a name for this kind of foolish worker, calls him the sluggard. Uh, Proverbs 26, 14 says this, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. <laughs> that's just a jab. I mean, that's just like, we're just roasting people at this point. Uh, in, in other words, a sluggard's life, it's, it's so connected to his bed, like a door is connected to a hinge. It's, his life is designed so that with as little effort as possible, just, he's sleeping. He's in bed. It's his default. Chapter 24 of Proverbs, we read, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, it says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want 
like an armed man. Sluggards are not diligent. Uh, they, they cannot sustain their attention or focus for any extended period of time. They're, they idolize rest. They are allergic, if anything, to work, and it causes all kinds of problems in their lives. And in the lives of others, by the way, Proverbs 10.26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. This is not the kind of person you want to rely on in any way, <laughs> whether it be at work or, or even serving together in the work of our ministry as a church. Uh, we do not want to work with a sluggard. I want you to notice, back to our key verse here, that there is a very close relationship between those who are slack and those who are destructive in their work. Very close. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Uh, in other words, sluggards aren't always unethical per se, but the basic ingredients of an unethical person are all usually there, and it wouldn't be particularly hard for their sluggishness to go in that direction towards being unethical. For example... You may have heard of the rise of what is now called quiet quitting, uh, where people don't technically quit. Uh, they keep their job, but they just do enough to keep their job and no more. In some cases, they do this either to go enjoy themselves outside of work for an indefinite period of time or until they can find a better job, but they'll do it as long as they possibly can. And I want you to notice the actual purpose of a quiet quitter's work, <laughs> the mission of their team, the organization, the good that their work is meant to do in the world is so far from their minds that they do not care at all what their work means for anyone other than themselves. Their goal is to do as little work as possible. There's no transcendent spiritual purpose to their work. There is no concern for the good of anyone but themselves. This is a perfect example of foolishness, good, old-fashioned, biblical foolishness going mainstream. But we hear, oh, listen to this new trend that everybody's trying. This foolish. <laughs> and quiet quitters have been around for many, many years. The Bible calls them sluggards, and they typically do not have a bright and promising future ahead of them. Wise work is diligent. Uh, but there is also an opposite extreme to be avoided here. Uh, it's tempting to assume, well, to avoid being a slugger, we just need to roll up our sleeves and run around as fast as we can and get everything done. We can easily confuse intensity for diligence. And these two things are not the same. There's not a name for people who do this kind of work, but the work itself throughout Proverbs is referred to as hastiness. Uh, Proverbs 21.5 says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. You see that? So, so diligence is marked by an intense kind of focus and determination. That is true, but it is also marked by a steady-handed, resolute endurance. Hasty people, on the other hand, they may be intense, they may be focused, but their intensity and their determination makes their work unstable. It may appear very impressive for a time because of how much they're able to get done so quickly, but with a closer look and more time, usually the quality of their work and the depth of their insight will prove to be lacking. Hasty people work so hard and so fast, often in the name of being diligent, 
that in the end, they typically burn out or they lose interest whenever they're faced with a kind of trial that requires patience. And so diligence is not just working harder. It's about working hard for the long haul. It's about giving yourself to a particular kind of work thoughtfully over time. And so let me ask, which extreme do you naturally gravitate towards in your work? Is it slack, sluggishness, or is it hastiness? And what would it look like instead for you to grow in wisdom by pursuing diligence? For me, I have to say it's not really even a question. My tendency is towards hastiness. I typically uh, don't need much help getting very excited about the work that I do. I'm also a very optimistic person. I tend to think, hey, we can, we can make this happen. We can do that. Let's, let's give it a shot. Uh, but if you just ask Carrie, uh, she will tell you over the years this has led to uh, overcommitment in some cases. Uh, it has often led to a kind of hastiness in my own work week, bouncing from one thing to the next, not very thoughtfully. And when this is the case, my work suffers, uh, not to mention it can easily create a toll on my family. I know, I'm sure many of you can relate to this. We've processed it. To those of you who are not maybe so easily excitable... Uh, maybe more given to slack rather than haste. Whatever you do, do not just assume that by sitting back and doing less, you are somehow more wise than the rest of us. Uh, regardless of our tendencies in this way, the goal of our work is to make progress, to be fruitful toward a great and glorious end. It is not just to maintain a certain level of comfort or stability. As wise workers, we should be marked not by slack or by haste, but by diligence. And lastly, number four, wise work is marked by contentment. Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever works his land, some translations say whoever tills his field will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Now this proverb is talking about the value of thankless, necessary, ordinary work. And in particular, it is talking about the work you already have rather than the work you wish you had, right? We all have a land to till, if you will. God has entrusted us with some kind of work, but depending on where we are in life at the moment or how that work is going, it may be very tempting to fantasize about what our work could be like. And if we give in to this temptation, at some point we will inevitably take our eyes off of our work that is right in front of us. We will always be looking for that next opportunity, and the next one after that, we will never be content. And again, if we give in to this, we may be skilled. We may even have integrity. We may even work diligently, but we will never be content. In fact, I'm convinced this virtue of contentment may even be the foundation to the other three an important precondition to the rest. Rather than falling prey to the foolishness of hasty work or restless discontent in our work, let's embrace God's good and wise design here for rest. Rest. Remember, the point of those six days of work is that on the seventh day we would stop it <laughs> and sit back 
and take in and enjoy the beauty and splendor of God in all of the whole picture. Slow down. Be still. Don't forget to just be a human being in God's creation. The truth is for everyone in every line of work, there will be seasons where it would seem much easier and more satisfying to shift gears, to wipe the slate clean, to start over, sell your land, go find another better field to till. And sure, in some cases that may be called for. I'm certainly not suggesting that every career move is unwise, but it is certainly at worth considering what are we really after in that career move? When we are, are contemplating something like this, it's wise to give plenty of time and space to prayerfully reflect on that. This is an area where God has really grown me, particularly as a church planter. When, when you plant a church, it's been four years now since we've done this, we started with 10 friends, uh, and when you start a work like that, usually at the outset of a work like that, you, what you have in mind basically is what we have here today. Uh, a room full of people that you had no clue they even existed before you moved to this community and evidences of God's work in many different areas of their life and blessing and fruitfulness even coming to you from them, all kinds of great fruit and product of their work. But the, what I've learned and found is that it, it takes all of four years, and this is even an incredible blessing uh, of what God has done for us today. But what the problem is in that tension of waiting and patiently pursuing something large, there can easily be a kind of discontentment that festers. You have a clear vision, and it just doesn't come this week, doesn't come next week, and you keep working at it. It was actually um, Ellie Dizer's dad. Is Ellie here? She's, she, I think she's serving. It's Ellie Dizer's dad, who is a former pastor, who actually counseled me and gave me one of the best pieces of advice in church planting. He said, Danny, you have to enjoy the work you have to do this week. That was so helpful for me. Um, enjoy the work you have this week. Enjoy the passage you're preaching. Enjoy the meetings and the people you spend time with, independent of the big picture results. Sometimes we need this perspective in our work. Here again, when our work is simply motivated by our own personal happiness, we will be tempted to run from it as soon as it stops making us happy. But when our work is motivated by the good of others and the glory of God, we will be able to work our land with peaceful, quiet hearts, even when it may not feel particularly gratifying. Maybe your work is rarely ever gratifying. Uh, maybe you have a job that no one seems to covet. Uh, Stay-at-home mothers, you may have this lingering insecurity, should I have a job outside of the home? Is my work even sufficient? I have to imagine this can create all kinds of restlessness and discontent in your heart. We'll find great hope in Proverbs 14, 23. In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. In your work, if your work feels thankless and ordinary, if it is, it is better for you to give yourself wholeheartedly to it even still than to aimlessly chase after something better. Whatever our work is, wise work is marked by contentment. In closing, church, to, to the rich young ruler whose career was on the rise, Christ looked to him and said, there is one thing you lack. 
sell all that you have and come to follow me. To those who are weary and heavy laden, Christ says, come to me and I will give you rest. Notice both are summoned to come to Christ. For one, coming to Christ means leaving behind the riches and splendor of their life to find their fulfillment in him instead. Uh, For the other, it means coming to an end of himself, admitting his deep, desperate need and receiving the grace of Christ to sustain him. In either case, we are called to deny ourselves and to come to Christ. So some of you are flourishing in your work. It's, It's going incredibly well, and when it comes to your potential, there's no end in sight. Uh, Some of you used to be there, but these days you are weary and heavy laden, you're beaten down and discouraged in your work. Whatever, wherever you find yourself today, I want to encourage you to deny yourself with joy. Take up your cross, come to Christ. Apart from faith in him, our skill will make us arrogant, our integrity will lead to self-righteousness, our diligence will devolve into burnout, And we will relentlessly try to find contentment in the work we have in this world. This is because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. And whatever it is we do, our work will never be wise until it is empowered by his finished work. Until it is marked by his kind of sacrificial love for others. And until it is motivated by his everlasting glory. With that, let's pray together now. Father, be with us in our work. Help us to be wise, not only for the sake of our glory and fulfillment, but for the sake of the good of your, the fellow image bearers that you've put in our life and for your glory for all of eternity. God, we want our glory, to, our work rather, to sing the praises of your glory. And so with that in mind, Lord, we pray to this end in Jesus' name. Amen.